You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Hello and welcome to the Money Nerds podcast, where owning a calculator, budgeting your money, and having a net worth is actually cool. I'm your host, Whitney Hansen, and each week I'll be chatting with inspiring people to learn their secrets to financial success. Now let's dive into the show. Sometimes we find ourselves in these situations where we are maybe living outside of our beings and we have these moments where we realize we have to change. Something has to give. This conversation with David and John was really eye-opening for me because we all spend occasionally outside of our means, uh, hopefully not, but it happens. And one of those things that it comes from is a place of not enoughness, not feeling like we're good enough, not feeling like we have enough, feeling like we have something to prove. And in some cases, that is perpetuated by an entire society that tells you you're not enough. This was the big takeaway for me from listening to this conversation with David and John. I thought it was a really eye-opening, enlightening conversation, and I'm really excited for you to hear a different point of view from some fellow personal finance nerds, so I think we're going to have a really good time here. Let me give you a little bit of background about David and John. David and John are personal finance authors, bloggers, and speakers for DebtFreeGuys.com. They have over 35 years of combined experience in finance. Their work has been featured in CNBC, Good Morning America, Yahoo Finance, Business Insider, Forbes, and so many more. They have a really great podcast called Queer Money, and it's a premier show talking about the financial nuances of LGBTQ community. Their mission is to build a financial financially strong LGBTQ community, and to help all folks live fabulously, not fabulously broke. That is a mission I can for sure get behind myself. David and John have been guests and co-hosts on so many different podcasts, but you have probably heard them on So Money with Farnoosh, Stacking Benjamins, Money with Friends, Bigger Pockets Money, Oh My Dollar, Her Money, to name just a few. In this episode, we dive into a lot of the nuances on how David and John went from living off of credit cards to their aha moment about getting out of debt. It's a really great story, and I think it's going to hit home for a lot of you. I know it definitely did for me. We also talk about how to positively react to those painful aha realizations when we were like, oh, crap, something has to change. How do we not beat ourselves up over that? We have a great conversation around that too. Spending in a way that will truly make you happy. The first steps they took when paying off $51,000 of debt. A breakdown of the debt lasso method. This was new to me, so it was really fun to learn their approach to paying down debt. We also have a really great conversation that I think is a must listen to about financial disadvantages and systemic problems that occur in the LGBTQ community. We talk a lot about how sometimes societal views can really affect debt issues in the community. We talk about why amplifying diverse voices is so critical in the financial community. I really enjoyed this conversation. It definitely opened my eyes to a lot of different problems and disadvantages 
advantages that people different than me go through. And it's something that I think we could all be a little bit more aware of sometimes. So I hope that this podcast maybe opened your eyes to a different perspective, at least in some way. I really enjoyed this conversation. I thought it was hugely important and I loved the debt lasso method. So I think you guys are going to have a really good time learning from David and John. But before we dive into the conversation, let's hear a quick word from our sponsor. I don't know what it was, but when I hit 30, that's when I started to really start thinking about my future and what happens when I die and all of that stuff. And it's a little bit somber, I I get it, but it's important work. For a lot of people, life insurance is truly the difference between being able to grieve and not have to worry about a ton of the financial obligations and having to go back to work too soon. Like It's a really, really big deal. And I know that men generally have more life insurance than women, and typically it's twice the amount of coverage. So it's a huge discrepancy. And one of the companies that is working really hard on fixing this is Jenny Life. Jenny Life wants to shrink that gap. And it doesn't matter if you're a working mom or a single mom or an expecting mom, maybe you're single or maybe your kids are like my kids and have four legs and they happen to be furry and bark a lot. (laughs) Regardless of what your situation is, you need life insurance. That's where Jenny Life comes in. Here's something crazy. Before Jenny Life, if a pregnant woman wanted life insurance, she'd actually have to use her pregnancy weight. And that usually equates to higher rates. Or even at one time in the United States, it was illegal, illegal for women to own a life insurance policy. Like what? Isn't that nuts? Jenny Life is doing a really great job. They make it fast and easy for women to know their families will be taken care of with life insurance that's uniquely built for your needs. With Jenny Life, you can get your life insurance policy without blood work or unnecessary red tape, and you can do it all online from the comfort of your home. Here's how it works. They ask you five simple questions. They curate plans from dozens of A-rated insurance carriers, and it gives you a personalized budget-friendly life insurance quote in seconds. For example, a healthy 32-year-old woman can get a half a million dollars in coverage for about a dollar a day without ever stepping into a doctor's office. It's so critical that women take control of their finances, and life insurance is one of those pieces that is going to give you a lot more peace of mind in your future. So it's super, super important. And I definitely believe that life insurance is something that every woman should have in place because every family deserves a secure financial future. So take a few minutes to get your Jenny Life policy right now. Visit JennyLife.com slash money nerds to get a free quote right now. That's JennyLife.com slash money nerds for your life insurance quote today. Again, JennyLife.com slash money nerds. Okay, now back to the show. Hey, hey, David and John from Debt Free Guys. Thank you so much for hanging out. Of course. Thank you for having us. Definitely. We're excited to be be here. here. I am stoked to chat with you guys. So it's been a long time coming. Thank you again for taking the time to be here. Of course. Thank you. So I'm specifically curious. I haven't heard each of your backstories. So let's start with you, David. How did you get into personal finance? Have you always been a money nerd or is this something that was a a little bit more of a process? Oh, it's definitely a process. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, An uh, ugly process. (laughs) I think that kind of the seeds were, um, were kind of planted for me to get to this point in my life. Uh, back when I was uh, 19, tw- 19 or 20, I can't remember, my parents co-signed on a credit card for me to take with uh, on a trip to uh, Ireland and England. 
uh, I was going back to see, we, we had lived over there for a short time period when I was younger. And um, so they signed, co-signed on this credit card for me. Uh, the whole purpose of that was to be an emergency credit card. And I came back, as John likes to say, came back from Ireland and England uh, with a credit card that had a full balance on it and never saw the back of a police car or an ambulance. So no emergencies, <laughs> but lots of debt. Uh, and I had that albatross of debt, uh, a credit card debt around my neck for 17 years. Um, wow. I just I was completely clueless about money uh, growing up. My parents uh, uh, had kind of, uh, unfortunately, I think instilled a scarcity mindset or a bad money story in my mind, uh, because of some of the things that happened to us financially when I was younger. And they just, that just kind of stuck around. Uh, and even though in 1996, I started working in the finance space, I started working for a mutual fund company. I still wasn't learning a whole lot about how to manage my money specifically. Yeah, I think that's so common where our parents try to, I mean, they do the best they can, but they do put some limiting beliefs in our heads. I, I respect that and relate to that, unfortunately, <laughs> too a little too much. <laughs> right. John, what about for you? What was your journey to finances? Well, so the first time that I really thought about finance um, was shortly after I graduated college. My dad had suggested that I uh, consider becoming a financial advisor, and that just went in one ear and out the other. Um, and shortly after that, I moved to Colorado. And right before I had moved out, my grandparents had given me five thousand uh, dollars to kind of get as a graduation gift slash kind of here's you're becoming an adult now. And um, so I, I moved out to Denver with a five thousand dollar plus surplus, but uh, within less than a year, I had twenty five thousand dollars worth of credit card debt. So I burned through all the money that I had and um, uh, took on an immense amount of credit card debt for one person in one year, um, all just to have lots of stuff. So like I said, I was an adult now, so I needed to have adult furniture and mm. no longer use sticky tack to hang uh, posters and have <laughs> <laughs> not sleep on a futon anymore. So I had to buy all that stuff. And of course, I needed top of the line stuff, right? Because I was such an adult. Um, and I got myself into that, that credit card debt pretty quickly. Um, and then I had my debt for about what, eight years, I think, until you and I, David and I started to pay off our credit card debt. So um, I had it for quite a while. I think net, probably, um, because the amount of credit card debt I had and because of the amount of time that David had his credit card debt, we probably paid about the same in interest. <laughs> oh, man. Um, so, uh, but yeah, that, that's, uh, that, that was kind of my journey. And then when we finally paid off our debt, we th thought to ourselves, geez, between our experiences, both in financial services as well as our ugly experience in personal finance, we could probably help some people. And that's kind of how we got into the financial services or financial personal finance space. That's so incredible. What, so at, paint me the picture. Like, when did you guys meet? At what time period in your lives? Uh, John and I knew each other for several years before we actually started seeing each other. Um, and we were both in our early 30s. Uh, and uh, I think that for that first year and a half we were together, we were just like every other couple who were just getting together. We didn't talk about money. We had <laughs> totally. a good time. <laughs> we we did all the happy we, we did all the happy hours that lasted way more than an hour. We did all the brunches <laughs> on Sunday. We did all the shopping. Um, we took the vacations. We just uh, you know from outward appearance we were 
having a pretty fabulous life. But as we like to say, we were living fabulously broke because most of that fabulous life was being financed on credit cards. And there was a time period, I, th I think uh, this was actually before I met John, but there was a time period where I was making the payments and paying down my credit cards um, and I had the money. But then I started to get this scarcity mindset that I talked about earlier where I had to keep money in my checking account which meant that I didn't pay my full balance on my credit card. And mm -hmm. that just got more and more and more and more lopsided. But it wasn't until about a uh, being together for about a year and a half that John and I had our kind of aha moment when it came to our finances and uh, decided that we needed to change our trajectory of our future. I love that. I, I hear you. And I think that's so common where when you first get together, you're like, we're not talking about money. We're just having a good time. Like, what's the problem? Right. No, money's a downer. I just want to have fun and have sex. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, literally, like new relationships. That's literally all you do. So I'm curious, though, for you guys, when you, you mentioned this, like the come to Jesus moment, you're like, oh, frick, we have a lot of debt. We need to change our lives. What was that moment? Like, how did that conversation start for you guys to say, hey, time to buckle down. Let's do this. <laughs> well, what what was interesting is it, it wasn't necessarily um, what you would think is the 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 best way to do it. It was actually in our the height of our uh, spending time frame that John and I went on uh, a short trip up into the mountains of Colorado. We lived in Denver, and we spent some time with a friend of John's in this cute little mountain town, and said, "God, this is a big, this is a great place. We should we should have a vacation home here." And so on the way out of town on Sunday, we checked out real estate and had this whole fantasy in our heads about being able to buy land and build a home. Uh, that was our dream. That's what we wanted. That's especially my dream. That's what I wanted to do. And then we locked ourselves in a car going 65 to 80 miles an hour on going down the mountain. And what started out as this really fantasy conversation about buying land and building a house as we dropped an elevation, went to maybe we should buy an existing place, maybe we should be looking at renting long term, maybe we can't even afford to go up there on the weekends to spend mm -hmm. time uh, because we are financial messes. And it was when we pulled up in front of our, our place, uh, got our bags, opened up the door and walked down a flight of steps into a basement apartment that we really kind of had that aha, come to Jesus moment where we confessed to each other that between the two of us, we had $51,000 in credit card debt. And the, the, the crazy thing about it is here we were fantasizing about buying land and building a vacation home when one, we didn't own our own home and we were physically and financially living in a hole. We were literally living below ground and that's exactly where our financial state was. Even though at the same time, we would go to work every day and talk to people about how they should be investing for the future, how they should be saving for their retirement and doing all these things to make themselves uh, put themselves in a better financial situation. We just were completely oblivious for our own uh, situation. That hurts. Right. Like when, when <laughs> I've been there before, too, where I'm like, oh, man, I should be like, this is fine. I'm going to buy this property. I'm going to do this. And then you look at the numbers and you're like, you're going to go to work is what you're going to do. <laughs> exactly. Get hustling. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But that really does suck. So I'm curious, how did you how did you channel that in a positive way instead of letting that eat, eat at you and like coming from a place of shame? Or did you? 
Yeah, well, no, we probably stewed on it for a few days. Um, but really what it sort of opened up for the two of us was to finally have that discussion about our finances as as individuals as well as a couple. And it really opened up the opportunity for us to do some some self-reflecting. And, you know, how is it that two uh, middle-class white cis gay men uh, can find themselves in such a precarious position in America. I mean, uh, aside from a, a slight disadvantage, um, pretty much everything else is working in our favor. So what were we doing wrong? And so that we just kind of looked at our spending and we started having a discussion about what it is we really truly wanted in life. Um, and we kind of got crystal clear on, on all of that. David, surely, I think it was a weekend or two after that, that David um, went through all of our accounts, uh, our credit card accounts, checking savings accounts, everything, and itemize as best he could every single expense that we had for the prior year. And it was shocking to see our spending. Um, one, we, there was really no justification for the fact that we couldn't have rented a apartment that was above ground um, and paid a more normal rate in Denver. But also, had you asked us prior to that if we had a great quality of life and we would have said, yeah, you know, it's good, whatever. Um, but when you looked at our spending, we had a really great quality of life and we didn't really know it. We were, I mean, the money we were spending on designer clothing and, and happy hours and wine um, were just ridiculous. No human needs to spend that kind of money, um, especially with the, the financial situation that we were in. So then, you know, we were spending our, our money that way and what that kind of, we, we asked ourselves like, well, if, if we have on paper this amazing quality of life and by outward appearances, everything is fabulous, why don't we feel like we have a better quality of life? And it was really because we realized that we weren't spending according to our values in part because we didn't really know what our values were. Mm-hmm. And so we had that discussion of well, what is it we want in life? How can we be spending all of our money in all these myriad of ways and not getting satisfaction. What is it? How should we be spending our money? How should we be living our lives? And that's when we realized that, uh, one, we wanted to travel, the, continue traveling. That was the one thing that we were doing, but rather than doing it on credit cards, we wanted to do it on cash and not come back with a, uh, a fiscal hangover every time we went somewhere. Two, we wanted to save for a comfortable retirement. And at that point, our retirement savings were abysmal. And by and large, we were in the negative because we had so much credit card debt. And then three, we wanted to be able to have the flexibility to give both our time and our money to the LGBT community, um, whereas up to that point, anytime we did give any money that, that we were able to, to give, it really hurt us financially. So we were helping somebody else, but we were hurting ourselves. I think that's so relatable too, where we don't necessarily spend in line with our values and from the outside appearance, yeah, you should have a great life, but we don't always feel that way. Um, so David, tell me a little bit about like when you guys were looking at your, your values, did you ever have this moment where you're like, but everything's important? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I, you know, I think we did. Uh, I think it's, it's hard to kind of go through the list and check off the boxes and say, this isn't important. This isn't important. This isn't important. But we also realized that, you know, you can't have it all. They're just, we just simply could not afford it all. And we knew that we needed to refine things down to really decide what was truly going to make us happy. 
You know, we talked about the, the happy hours and going out and the designer clothes and things like that. And I think it's it's very apparent today, right? Well, you look at who are the popular people on Instagram and TikTok and things like that, and and, and even YouTube. You know, it's it's individuals who can show you that they have this quote unquote fabulous life, but um, we realize that that wasn't really giving us true happiness. It was either giving us a momentary high from the shopping of it, the momentary high of being able to show it off to our friends. But in the long run, it was just stuff that was sitting in our closets or uh, food that we ate, things that we drank that really didn't last. And we wanted stuff that lasted. Mm, I think that's so critical too. So we are looking at 51 grand in credit card debt which I can imagine for two two guys in finance, you're like, what the hell is going on? Like, this is crazy. <laughs> and you started to create the plan by looking at your values. So what was the next step you did to try to pay off that debt? Uh, I think that the spending analysis was the biggest eye-opener for us, uh, that after we did that spending analysis, we, we really kind of knew pretty quickly we had some major outliers that we could cut back on that would help us to start spending less than we were making. But we knew that it wasn't going to just be that we would send an extra two, three, four hundred dollars a month. If we really wanted to tackle it, we needed to make some significant changes in our lives. Mm -hmm. So uh, we came up with kind of this this plan of action of what we were going to do. Uh, and the first thing was to really get a control over some of our biggest uh, spending mistakes. And that was how much money we're spending on food and alcohol. And we really cut that back. We became kind of meticulous about going to the grocery store and shopping and buying food and cooking at home and taking, uh, taking our lunches to work more often than we left, definitely a lot more often than when we went out. But we also knew at the same time we were social creatures and we loved being out with our friends and doing those kinds of things. So then part of the plan was that we figured out how to uh, either do uh, a substitute for what we would normally do that was a lot cheaper or what we call the NSC or not so expensive. We would just figure out how to what kinds of not so expensive things could we do that would actually still allow us to have fun with our friends or with each other. Those were kind of the, the two major pieces uh, then I think one of the, the 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 biggest speed bumps that most people don't tackle when they're trying to pay off their debt was when John and I looked at it and we said, this $51,000 in credit card debt is costing us $10,000 a year in interest. Mm -hmm. We were spending, our, our interest rates fluctuated between 18 and 20 to 22%. So we were spending are having to pay $10,000 a year. And we said, how do we get rid of that? How do we eliminate that? And that's when we came up with what we now call the debt lasso method uh, so that we could either reduce that as far as possible and in some cases down to zero so that we weren't paying all that interest, which meant that instead of paying interest, we were paying on the balance of our cards, which meant that we could pay them down so much faster. And that's how we ended up paying our debt off in a little over two and a half years. That's freaking impressive. Way to go. 
Thanks. The, it was yeah, hard. I can, I can imagine. I can imagine. I'm not going to over it. Yeah, no. I, I think that's the important piece, too, is whenever we hear these debt-free stories like yours, it's like, oh, wow, two years, look what I could do. But it's like, yeah, but here's also what I did to make that happen. Um, I always think that's so interesting. Can we talk a little bit about the eating out? It sounds like that was a huge budget killer for you. So tell me a little bit about, like, give me some context. What was the eating out budget like beforehand? And then what did you reduce it to? Sure. So um, some of our most egregious weeks, we were spending $400 a week at the grocery store and $400 a week dining out. So that was $800 in some cases a week for two fit humans at the time. We weren't eating a lot. <laughs> at the time, I love it. We've never been skinnier, so I'm not sure what was going on. Um, and so, they, yeah, I mean, that's that's just that's just ridiculous. And for most for most Americans, the, the the quickest way to save the most money is to rein in your groceries. I mean, it's just we the members of our credit card payoff course, the mo- members of our, our budget buster bundle, by and large, always say that their 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 grocery budget. They just had no idea how much money they were spending on groceries. And when you can rein that in, and the the, the, the simplest thing you can do to rein that in is to simply start creating a menu and a grocery list. That alone, without even consciously trying to to, to choose f- cheap things or, or clipping coupons or choosing things that are on sale, just having a grocery list and a menu will start to save you money. By and large, hands down, it does that for most of our clients. And the health benefits too. Like I know you guys are like super active. Quarantine's been rough on us all. I so I'm speaking for me on this one. But <laughs> try my best, damn it. But that that health benefit is so important too. Mm-hmm. It is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What was interesting, I think a, a a lot of people say, well, it's not a big deal. I'm only gonna do. I'm only gonna go out for happy hour, right? Yeah. Well, uh, you know, and what was what is supposed to be a happy hour where you have one or two five dollar beers, right, or maybe a cocktail. For almost every single week, what that turned into for us was hanging out, having uh, the cocktail and an appetizer. Then the group decides we're going to go and we're going to have dinner somewhere else. And of course, when you have dinner, then you get a bottle of wine. And all of a sudden, what was supposed to be like a $20 happy hour has turned into a $150, $200 night because you're not able to stop. That is so spot on. That's exactly how it goes, too. And then there's like that other layer of um, the nice person that's like, oh, I'll, I'll pay. I, I got this. <laughs> oh, exactly. Yeah, that was David. David. Yeah. David loves to pay the bill. <laughs> oh, David, you're. It's that's you, huh? Yeah. Well, it was. It was interesting because I could totally relate. One of the members of our credit card payoff course was messaging me on Facebook. He was. This is like maybe the first couple of weeks that he was in this in this uh, course, and he was messaging me on Facebook, and he's like, "What do I do?" He said, I just bought a round of shots and I know I can't afford it. I put it on a credit card. What do I do? And I said, well, you, you made the mistake. Um, <laughs> you got to have to live with it. But the Everybody spit is, your alcohol back into your shot glass real quick. <laughs> I'm taking this back, damn it. Return this to the bartender. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> but sometimes it's just you have to remove yourself from the situation, right? You just have to have your you have to have a strategy to get out. And whatever the situation is, you know, what's what's interesting is uh, you we're talking about a lifestyle that obviously was uh, focused around food and uh, going out and spending time with friends and and the like. But we know folks who are dropping hundreds of dollars a month sending their kids to birthday parties yes. or 
uh, spend $8,000 a summer spending their kids to soccer camp, and they cannot afford it. They're going broke, but they're still doing those kinds of things because they think they need to be good parents, and this is how you're good parents, right? So the, 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 the factors that cause us to spend um, are oftentimes pressures that don't necessarily, when you look at them, you wouldn't think that it's bad, right? Dropping $100 and buying shots for your friends, that's being generous. Sending your kids to soccer camp and spending $8,000, that's being a good parent. Well, what kind of financial future are you creating for yourself and for them? That is so good. I, I work with a lot of people that have kids too. And that is almost always one of those things where they excuse bad financial behaviors and like, oh, it's just, it's just being a good parent. I just want to take care of my kids and give them everything I didn't have. And you're right. Like that comes at a cost. That's huge. And there's value in giving your kids things that you might not have had. But if you're doing so at your own financial detriment, then you have to ask, are you doing it for yourself or are you doing it for the kids? Yeah. And if you're doing it for yourself, why do you feel the need to do it for yourself? Um, for 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 lots of people, there's an insecurity there that if they don't keep up with uh, their neighbors, if they don't keep up with the other parents at school, that they're going to feel like um, they're being judged by their peers because they're not doing the same thing for their kids as everybody else seems to be doing. But I would bet that everybody is at school is just waiting for the mom or dad to stop saying, to say that they're going to stop spending money that way. <laughs> Cause I'm they would serious. all like that break. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. I can only imagine. Now I want to dive into a little bit of your, your methodology for paying off debt, the debt lasso method. This is a new one for me. So can you talk a little bit about how you came up with this and what exactly it means? Sure. Yeah. So the, the debt lasso method, uh, is, uh, the crux of it is that whole idea of getting rid of or driving down the interest that you're paying on your credit cards. But there's actually a five-step process. Uh, the first step is broken into two pieces, and it's around commitment. And uh, the first step is of that uh, of step number one is to commit to not adding more balance to your credit cards. You have mm -hmm. to stop putting money on your cards if you want to pay them off. For some people, that means e completely getting rid of them. For some people, they can fit, they can use them, but we generally don't typically recommend that. Um, this the second part of, of of that is committing to sending a very specific amount, a minimum amount, every single month to pay your cards. Don't get stuck into this fluctuating amount based on how much money you have or based on uh, on minimum payments because you'll never pay it off. Set that specific amount and pay that at least that amount, if not more. Uh, and when you do have more, pay that, but at least that minimum amount. So that's step number one is commitment. The second step is the what we call trim. Uh, and this is implementing a little bit of the, of the motivational aspect of the snowball method. And that is, if you have a credit card or credit cards where you can pay off immediately in the first month or two with that committed amount, pay them off, get those quick wins, get them, you know, that's going to give you some excitement around the fact that you don't have those credit card payments anymore. The third step is to the crux of the whole thing is to lasso. So you're, the idea there is to rein in your debt to and your interest rates to as few locations as possible 
uh, with the lowest interest rate as possible. The fewer locations you have, the easier it is to manage. And of course, uh, the lower your interest rate, ideally zero, the less you're going to have to pay in um, interest charges. Yeah, and th mm -hmm. that means for some people that's a low interest loan, and for other people it's a balance transfer to uh, to a, a credit card that's offering some sort of promotional rate. Um, and oftentimes people say, well, you know, that's what the whole debt lasso method is, is just uh, balance transfers. And it's uh, when you see the all five steps, you realize this is only a piece of it. Mm -hmm. um, step four is to automate things uh, because paying bills is annoying. <laughs> and <laughs> yep. when, when you're paying a very specific amount to your cars every single month, then you can automate it so that you never miss a payment again, which one will help your credit score improve and two will continue to drive those balances down. Uh, and then the last point is to monitor, uh, to monitor your progress. Watching your progress is a great motivator. The other thing is, is when a card is paid off, you're going to have to make some adjustments. So although the, the balance transfer piece or the low interest loan piece is kind of there as the central piece of lowering your debt, it's making sure you do all of those pieces because no amount of loans or balance transfers is going to pay your debt off. You still have to pay it. No, I think that's huge. I, I love the five steps too. I think it's very tangible and it makes perfect sense. When you guys are looking at balance transfers and you're recommending, do you have any favorite resources that people go to like learn more about balance transfers? Well, we are on our website, debtlasso.com. We do have uh, a, a page where I update what current uh, zero interest balance transfer offers there are out there available right now. Mm -hmm. uh, I will say that with the environment uh, due to coronavirus, a lot of credit card companies basically pulled those offers off the table because it it becomes a, it, there was too much risk, especially mm -hmm. with so many people losing their jobs. They don't want individuals applying for these cards where they just simply cannot make the payments. So there's only a few cards out there right now that are offering that. Um, I keep that up to date. It's It mirrors almost exactly what you're going to find on many of the major websites that talk about credit card uh, offers, such as NerdWallet or CreditCards.com. Um, but the whole idea here is to provide individuals with the most current and what is available uh, because there are a number of options for you. Maybe it's not a balance transfer. Maybe it's a low interest loan. Um, and you want to have or know what resources are available to you. That makes perfect sense. And I appreciate you guys sharing that with everyone, too. I, th I think that's super awesome. With the different strategies and once you're opening cards and doing balance transfers or getting low interest rate loans, is there any credit implications that people should expect or be aware of? Yeah, we always encourage people, especially if they're doing the zero interest rate credit card offers, uh, one, read the fine print, get crystal clear on exactly what the terms and conditions are. And you want to make sure you know what the repercussions will be if you happen to be late or you miss a payment because that zero interest rate offer can expire immediately and suddenly you're paying 22 plus percent on your credit again. So you, you want to try to avoid that at all costs. So be crystal clear on the on the fine print. The other is that you will take a ding anywhere from three to five points every time you do a, a balance transfer. But that'll be 
typically we've seen with our clients that ding is uh, simply temporary. And as they are expediting paying off their debt and they're uh, more importantly, consistently making their payments month after month after month, um, they, they typically see their credit scores improve. Um, though you might see a dip, uh, at least in the beginning. Um, ideally, you're not taking on any more loans so that uh, in the near future, so that shouldn't uh, that cause you any long-term consequences, but you do want to be prepared for that three to five point dip. Okay, yeah, I, that's good to know. I, I would also add, do, you don't want to rush out there and apply for a whole bunch of credit cards at the same time. Mm. That's a, an immediate red flag. And what that alerts is the credit reporting agencies and all of those credit card companies are pulling information from those credit reporting agencies. So if you put it put out there that, you, that there is this big risk, uh, then they're not going to allow you to get the offer or they're going to reduce the offer. So do it strategically. So uh, keep in mind that uh, most of the time individuals who are getting those offers are going to either have good or excellent credit. So if you're not at that level, don't apply right now. Work on your credit score, improve your credit score, and then apply. It may be better if you went for a low interest loan or a lower interest loan if possible. Makes sense. Talk to us a little bit about some of the products you guys offer. How do you work with individuals? And what are some of the, aside from your awesome podcast, Queer Money, what are some <laughs> of the, your podcast is so good. I love it. But <laughs> how do you, how, how do you work with people? We work with folks a number of ways. Our signature system is our credit card payoff plan uh, that is uh, founded on the debt lasso method, um, and it includes uh, much more than just walking people through the debt lasso method, um, but it does include those steps as well. Um, and to date, uh, we just got an update last week, which excited us. So I think within the last two years, we've helped people pay off um, almost four hundred thousand dollars in credit card debt so Holy far so crap. we're pretty excited about it um yeah the system works it's not it's not the easiest system in the world it does take some a lot of uh commitment um and a lot of implementation but the system does work so the signature system is our credit card payoff course that does come uh with group coaching for those who are interested in it uh and then we do also offer one-on-one -on -one coaching whether it's uh, specific to paying off credit card debt or if, for those who need help with other uh, parts of their uh financial situation. We also have our uh, Build and Improve Your Credit Score powered by Experian Boost. That is a free course that's available to people. Uh, and so if you're in the bucket of people that David mentioned earlier where you need to work on your credit score first before you might want to consider implementing the debt lasso method, um, take a look at, at that course. It is free uh, and um, it uh, was created in partnership with Experian and uh, has pr uh, shown a lot of positive results as well. That's and then, so cool. Yeah. And then lastly, we have our Budget Buster Bundle for those folks who are just looking for help uh, with uh, getting on a budget that actually works for them. Um, and one that's a little bit more designed to help people pay off uh, credit card debt than just um, the standard uh, trying to save and invest. I love it. I think you guys offer some really, really awesome products too. So I wanted to make sure we covered all of your cool offerings. So thank you for sharing that. Thank you. Thank you. All right. I have to dive into something that I I don't know as much about, and I would love to learn from you. So tell me a little bit about when you're focusing on the LGBTQ community, what are some of the financial maybe hiccups or issues or cool things that happen with their finances that maybe the straight community doesn't really pay attention to or doesn't know much as, as much about? Yeah, I think so. the challenges for the LGBTQ community are, are, um, are kind of far and, and wide. Um, 
unfortunately. So about 40% of homeless youth, according to a Williams Institute study, identified as LGBTQ. So a lot of those folks have um, either left home because uh, they were afraid for their safety or um, they were kicked out. And uh, so they're starting life sort of behind the eight ball, struggling financially, living on the streets. And so that adds an extra challenge to them when they get into their adult lives, if they're even able to get into college. Uh, so we think about um, all the opportunities that we've had uh, and how much we struggled <laughs> to, yeah. to, to get our financial act together. Imagine, you know, not having um, a place to sleep or even having um, the support of a mom and dad while you're uh, trying to get your feet on the ground uh, financially. Um, likewise, similar to the um, the wage gap for women, there is a wage gap for uh, LGBTQ people. Um, in fact, a, a study came out of the University of Syria a couple of years ago that showed that uh, even just sounding or appearing non-gender conforming can lose you an opportunity for a raise or a promotion or um, a job altogether. Oh, my God. Not just being LGBTQ, but appearing to be LGBTQ. And a lot of these are unconscious biases. It's not out overt um uh, homophobia is just right. unconscious uh, biases. Um, so our, our our community tends to struggle a little bit more than the general population, um, and that's sort of why uh, this became a, a, a passion project for David and me. Because our first year of going to to FinCon uh, in 2015, we realized that there were so many people talking to different demographics. You have your mommy bloggers and your millennials and your your military spouses and your Christian bloggers, um, but there was simply nobody talking to the LGBTQ community, um, and uh, our community needs as much attention as, as anybody else, uh, maybe uh, more so um, relative to some communities. So that's kind of why we decided to take this on. Um, yeah. That's huge. I didn't realize some of those stats. That is actually very heartbreaking. There are a couple of, I think, other kind of systemic things. Uh, John and I uh, look at what's going on with retirement in the LGBT community. Yeah. Uh, you have you have a lot of, uh, a lot of people, especially gay men who in the late 80s, 90s, even early 2000s never expected to live this long because they have AIDS, right? And so they expected to die in their 40s. And now they're living in their they're living they're in their 60s, they've been on disability of some sort or reduced work for all this time and now they just don't, simply don't have any money saved for retirement. And so now we're facing this whole uh, gay retirement issue of folks not having or not having saved any money. I think one of the other things that a lot of uh, maybe not necessarily young people today can relate to, but uh, I think there are some that can. The stories that we have told ourselves or have been told by society uh, play a major role in how we live out our lives financially. Mm. Um, you know, jo both John and I grew up in a time period where being okay, being gay was not okay. Uh, right. You know, we, so we, we were hearing from, uh, from kids at school, from church, from politicians, from the news, everyone was basically saying, you're not a good person, you're not a good person, you're not a good person. Well, if, if you continue to tell yourself or be, are being told you're not a good person, that plays out in how you use your money. And sometimes that means that you use your money to make other people think that you're okay, that you're a good person. And that, John and I say, both say to ourselves, that was a major contributor as to why we got into so much debt. 
we were trying so hard to make everybody out there think that we were amazing people. And in the country we live in today, America especially, your outward appearance, your financial success is one of the major ways of telling everybody that you're a valid, worthy person. And so many of us go about trying to tell everybody we're good people and we're in essence basically uh, destroying our financial futures or ruining our current financial situation. So that's, I think, one of the major challenges that that a lot of non-LGBT folks don't necessarily, I agree that there are some that have to deal with this, but it's not pervasive that you're mm-hmm. constantly being told across the spectrum that you're you're bad people. But the news isn't all bad. you know. So our first year at FinCon, we were the only out LGBTQ couple there. Um, but last year we hosted a, um, a meetup sponsored by Capital One, and uh, there were over 45 people that showed up at that oh event. Oh my God, that's amazing. Yeah, and what's even more exciting is a lot of those people are have gotten into the content creation space too. So whether they're blogging, Huge. podcasting, or whatever, the conversation is starting. And uh, in the last year especially, we've seen a, a lot more um, – uh, the, the trend is lesbian couples um, starting blogs and YouTube channels now talking about uh, fire or slow rolling through you know uh, 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 through Europe together uh, on a on a single income all these exciting uh, money discussions that our community is starting to have and so we've said for a long the longest time and this is why we we had a um, we did our queer money live tour last summer not this past one that's ending now but two summers ago and um, the whole foundation of that tour was to simply get people talking about money and what was so uh, validating to us was that at the end of each of these talks the people who would come up to us and say thank you for having this discussion i've never talked about money i've never talked about it in this way and i never even thought that my lgbtq status could have a flint an influence on how i think about and use my money Mm -hmm. so the while the numbers seem precarious um, and somewhat depressing at this time. The conversation is starting. Um, and so we're really excited about that. I love that. I think that just shows the importance of why we need people who look, act, feel, share similar thoughts. Like it's so critical for us to just put our voices out there and to just yep. share and build up that community. I think that's so, so critical. I'll tell you, a, the, 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 one of the muses for David and me is the African-American women community. Sandy Smith, Tiffany the Budgetanista, Michelle yeah. Jackson, all those. The, the way that they have taken ownership of the financial conversation in their community is like the talisman for David and me. Like if, if they can do it, we can do it too. That's so cool. Yeah, last time Michelle was on the podcast, she brought a foghorn. I'm not even kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not I, even surprised. <laughs> I wasn't either. <laughs> Just cracking up. <laughs> yeah, that's like so spot on. But yeah, I th- I think you're you're really you're hitting on some good points, and I love that you mentioned how impactful our communities are for us. And sometimes it takes a lot more than just, I mean just saying, you know, be aware of your community and the, the focus and how that can influence your spending habits. I think sometimes it goes into like, you got to do that deeper work, which might even require therapy, you know, like, I think that's really important. Yeah, money is just a, another tool that can be used for good, but we can also use it to, uh, to, to our detriment, um, similar to, you know, almost anything else, food, drugs, alcohol, um, money, money is just another tool that you can use to help or hurt you. Um, and so that does sometimes require some therapy and there's nothing wrong with that. 
No, absolutely not. Well, I also think too about some of the the implications and I think it probably is getting better, but we still have a long ways to go even legally. Um, but man, like even like health insurance for, mm. for gay couples, like even something as simple as health insurance was a huge struggle. Yeah. Well, I mean, health insurance in the United States is just... And I think what, what's ironic is I think we're really only some parts, uh, some groups within our country are really only starting to recognize that now that we're in a pandemic and the healthcare system that they were benefiting from for generations is now not serving them as they need it. No, I mean, that's exactly what's going on. It's crazy. (laughs) And it's unfortunate that crappy times for our country is what really illustrates the work we need to do. But, man, that's what we're living through. Hopefully we can use this as a a, a catalyst for change. Sure, I hope so. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't realize how how much health insurance was a bigger issue until I became self-employed. I used to work for a state entity. And so when I became self-employed, I'm like, Oh, I get it. <laughs> this stuff's expensive. Yep. Right. Yeah. It's when you great. when you go into business for yourself, you realize what your employer was paying, whether it was the state or uh, a corporation. You're like, wow, that's um, yeah. Uh, unfortunately, af- the Affordable Care Act isn't totally affordable. <laughs> oh, no, I damn near sent my employer a thank you letter. <laughs> thank you for health insurance and and 401k benefits. Are we going to piggyback on that? <laughs> can we extend that? That'd be great. <laughs> no, that's funny. Well, I appreciate the conversation guys. And I appreciate you opening up into some of the struggles that LGBTQ community deals with. And I think it's, it's so critical. I know there's a lot of people that are LGBTQ and I have a couple people that are transgender and they're currently going through surgery. And I know that that's a financial cost. And I think it's just, there's so much there that I don't even realize on a daily basis so I really appreciate you opening up and sharing that. Yeah. Well, thank thank you for allowing us to share and and even tell a little bit of our story. Because I think that the stories that uh, we hear, they really inform us as to what's going on in other people's lives that give us kind of a, a, a wake-up call as to, okay, the whole world isn't just like my world. Right. So thank you for allowing us to do it as well. Oh my God, that's the point of this, right? If I can't have diverse, unique voices on here, I think as a content creator, I'm doing everybody a disservice. Thank you. All right, my friends, before we officially part ways, are you down for some rapid fire questions? Oh, you didn't tell us about this. (laughs) I know, that's going to be great. (laughs) Yes, we are, I guess. (laughs) So I will have you each answer individually. I think it'll be really fun. So let's start with uh, David. I'll start with you. One purchase you've recently made that has made your life better. I bought new running shoes and I needed them really (laughs) badly, but they are great. (laughs) What did you go with? um, Asics. I'm looking for a pair myself. I might check into those. Yeah. <laughs> well, tell where okay, you got John. them from. That was the best part. Oh, yeah. yeah. Please do. I got them on Chewbacca. And, of course, I got, like, a, some killer deal. Chewbacca? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> 40% off. So. What is Chewbacca? I've never heard of this. It's a huge shoe website. I just uh, Shoe and clothing. And I, I was specifically searching for the Asics, and it took me to that website, and they were, like, $60 cheaper than everywhere else. I was like, okay, I guess I'm getting them here. <laughs> right on. Good save. Yeah. I love that. John, what about for you? One purchase you recently made that has made your life better? 
Well, so this isn't really fair because we don't buy a lot of stuff, and I just got new shoes when David got new shoes. So my, <laughs> now my answer is <laughs> okay. <laughs> now my answer is boring. So let me. Um, uh, I, you know, I just uh, what I've really enjoyed recently, um, and it's not the most exciting purchase, but I, I just finished reading uh, *Sapiens*, um, which is a phenomenal book by Yuval Harari. If uh, if you haven't read it, and uh, so I've had a lot of fun reading that. I mean, that was probably like seventeen dollars. <laughs> Worth it. Awesome. Good to know. I'm learning all kinds of fun stuff this rapid fire. <laughs> okay. The next question for each of you, and John, we'll start with you this time. I personally am obsessed with people's morning routines. I find them just to be really interesting. So what is your current morning routine? Oh, that's a deep one, though. Um, so we typically we wake up and we'll make uh, hot lemon water with uh, turmeric, ginger, and uh, a little bit of cayenne. We'll drink that, and we'll do our uh, morning routine, which includes meditation, journaling, uh, at least 20 minutes of reading, and then um, after that, we'll go for a run, and that's kind of our morning routine. I Did love I it. Everything? Yeah, that's that's everything. Yeah. <laughs> How long of a run do you guys go for? Well, we um, we we like to run a lot. We've only been able to do like two and a half miles here in Vegas because if we don't get out the door fast enough uh, and get a run in, like it's like 115 degrees outside and we'll die. Um, so our, our runs haven't been very long, but we just said now that the falls are uh, falls starting to uh, kick in, we're hoping to get back up to five to seven miles. That's amazing. I love that. That's a really great morning routine. Okay, for each of you, let's let's pretend it's post COVID. That's um, going to make this answer a lot more exciting. Where is one location you're dying to travel to? Uh, wait. Well, so we have uh, we love Spain, and we've been to Spain uh, several times. We actually were uh, we found a, a way to live in Spain cheaper than living here in the states, so we lived there for three months. So I would love to go back to Sitges. Uh, this is a small town south of Barcelona, but this time I'd like to be able to take a few more longer term excursions and get over to Portugal because we've never been to Portugal. So. Sweet. I will say something that's been on my list for like generations <laughs> is um, the Galapagos Islands. I, um, I learned about them when I was in science in college and there was a, a school trip that went down there and my parents wouldn't let me go. So I've been bitter ever since. <laughs> now I want to go make it up and see if I can get my Darwin on. That'd be amazing. <laughs> Allegedly, there are pink dolphins, and uh, I think they 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 swim around the Amazon and all the way down to Galapagos and eat the piranhas. And yeah, well, yeah, I don't want to get eaten by a piranha, but I want to play with the dolphins. <laughs> yeah, just hang out with the dolphins. You'll be fine. I hear they eat piranhas. <laughs> oh, really? I didn't know that. I, didn't know that. I swear, I. I I think I saw that on Discovery Channel. I don't recall. Oh, another reason to like them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that's so good. Okay, last question for you guys. Um, and I would love to do this as individual as well, because I think it's always interesting to see the perceptions here. What, in your opinion, is the secret to financial success? Um, I think, hands down, the, the secret to success is to figure out what it is you truly want. Uh, as we said earlier, most people are spending to live up to other people's expectations, to feel good enough about themselves, to make other people think that they're good enough. Um, and that's why most people, except for the percentage of people who are struggling with their income, uh, that's why most people spend uh, more than they make. And I think that um, knowing what you truly want in life and what your most ideal life looks like um, paves the path for you to have financial success that you need. 
So mine's mine's kind of similar, although I like to break things down into like bullet pointed lists. So <laughs> David's got a PowerPoint he'd like yeah, to present exactly. to everybody. <laughs> Here's my slide deck. <laughs> so um, I kind of think it's basically br- comes down to 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 three things. Um, similar to what John said, I think you have to know what you really want in life because if you don't know what you want, you're going to be spending your time trying to uh, to to, uh, fulfill what everyone else wants, right? So if you know what you want, you know where to spend your money, you know where to have fun, you know what, what to do with your life, what career you want. So know what, what it is you want. The second is to always figure out a way to spend less money than you make. No one ever gets rich spending more money than they make. It's just simple fact. You just cannot do it. And then the third point is to join the investor class with that difference. When you spend less than you make, you're gonna have money that you can put to work to work for you. You can only work a certain amount of time, so make your money work for you. And when you have your, when you're working and your money is working for you, you're gonna make more money, which is gonna allow you to make progress much faster. Bam. Beautiful answers. Thank you so much, you guys. I appreciate your time and sharing your wisdom and giving us all a little bit of hope on how we can maybe pay off some credit card debt. I I think it's really important. I'm grateful for your time. Awesome. Well, thank you for having us. We appreciate it. Thank you. All right. What'd you think? I love this conversation. I definitely resonated with the comments that David and John made about sometimes the gay community can pitch a narrative that can lead to excess spending or living a lavish life. And I thought it was a really great point. And it was something that I'm not in the gay community. I have friends that definitely are, but I personally am not. And so seeing some of the nuances there, it was, it was eye opening for me, honestly. And I I enjoyed the conversation. I think the more I can educate myself on people that are different than me and hearing their perspectives and what some of their struggles are, the better I can be as an educator too. So I hope that you enjoyed that and I hope you enjoyed me learning from them as well. If you like this episode, do me the biggest favor and David and John a favor and share this with at least one person that you think it would resonate with. It is such a great way to get their message out in front of more people and to get the podcast out in front of more people too. It's like seriously the greatest compliment you can ever pay for me. Pay, pay for me, pay me. <laughs> Anyways, that is it for today. Thank you so much for tuning in. I will see you on Friday for five tip Friday or next week for another episode of the money nerds podcast. Bye. Bye.